breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Hope you and your loved ones uh, had a wonderful Christmas holiday, had a great New Year's, and you're joining me now to attack 2022 with the vigor and energy and love that we need to move forward as a country, to move forward toward the truth, to understand the issues that they will not address on mainstream media, to be able to have a conversation about the more difficult topics that so many people defer, deflect, or bully their way through. And uh, yes, 2021, unfortunately, was a lot more of the same of 2020. We thought we had put the pandemic behind us in 2020, but it seemed to come back like an old virus. And uh, you know which virus I'm talking about. Not COVID, but the other one. And ultimately, COVID-19 did come back with multiple variants, but less virulent less people in the hospital, but ultimately making its way through the population. What did we learn in 2021? I'll leave that to you all because today I want to look forward. I want to talk about a few issues that have come to the top when it comes to political correctness and when it comes to some of the pundits that we trust and listen to that even they can sometimes miss the baby with the bathwater. As the new year comes forward, I resolve to continue to bring you the truth, the unvarnished, genuine reflections on political Islam, on Islamism and the need to reform, on medical ethics, on politics, and the red-green axis of the cooperation between the far-left progressivists and the Islamists, and anything else under the sun that I have the desire to talk about. First, I want to talk about something that's happening in Canada with the Canadian Medical Association, and it strikes all too familiar for those of us here in America. Familiarity with the influence of critical race theory and turning upside down the desire to prevent racism into a ideology that ultimately pits one race above the other. And a doctor, a respected physician by the name of Sharif Emil, noted in a letter to the editor to the Canadian Medical Association, as reported by CBC News, this became a national story in Canada, that the pediatric surgeon had written a letter in the Canadian Medical Association journal and it drew immediate, immediate pushback. What was the crime that this respected surgeon wrote? A letter in the journal responded to his photo. There was a photo of children reading books in a school, and the uh, one of the children was wearing a hijab. And a very young girl, probably somewhere around seven, six or seven years old, and the Canadian journal responded by apologizing. And I didn't even tell you what he said yet, but they apologize, and they're going to retract it. And if you go to the website to find it, it says this inappropriate comment was retracted according to the publication's interim editor-in-chief. And the letter had called the hijab 
the woman's head covering, worn by one of the girls in the photo, an instrument of oppression, and was slammed by many as Islamophobic. Now, we don't even know the religion of the surgeon, and it's not described. The interim editor-in-chief of the Canadian Medical Association Journal on Thursday said the publication is formally retracting a letter it ran about hijabs that many have slammed as Islamophobic. Kristen Patrick's announcement comes days after she posted on Twitter apologizing for the letter, which called the religious headscarf an instrument of oppression. I sincerely apologize on behalf of the CMA Journal for my error in publishing the letter. Error, Patrick said in a statement on Thursday a few days ago. I take full responsibility for the inadequacy of the editorial process. The letter in question written by pediatric surgeon Dr. Emil and published a few days prior, three days previously, argued that a recent CMA journal cover that featured a young girl in a hijab was misguided and that it perpetuated an often traumatic and harmful practice. And he said in the letter, short letter, many of my trainees, colleagues, and patients, parents, and some adolescent patients wear the hijab. I respect each woman I interact with as well as any woman's choice to express her identity as she desires, wrote Emil. So he made it clear that he's not against the hijab. But respect does not alter the fact that the hijab, the niqab, which is hijab is around the hair, niqab is facial covering and body covering, and the burqa, that's the body covering, are also instruments of oppression for millions of girls and women around the world who are not allowed to make a choice. So he said what the, what was the qualification by which the hijab was instruments of oppression. And Kristen Patrick, the interim editor, in her apology on Twitter, Subquoted a tweet that said, It's one thing for people to have dangerous xenophobic views that equate women's clothing to extremism. It's another for a publication like the Canadian Medical Journal to run it. How do you explain this? And then she responds, using their verbiage, that oppressive verbiage of Islamophobia, quote unquote, a term which I talked about last episode as being a term intentionally used by the likes of Ilhan Omar and the Islamists of the Muslim Brotherhood in order to squelch dissent. Ladies and gentlemen, Exhibit A is this one. Islamophobia, the editor of the medical journal. Again, this is not a a social, cultural, religious, theological journal. No, this is a medical journal. Islamophobia is a serious health issue. Oh, really? Are you serious? That's what the Saudis and that's what the Iranians say. It kills. The letter's title suggests that the hijab is unequivocal. Unequivocally an instrument of oppression. That is wrong. Hurtful and offensive. This editor can't even read. That is not what he said. For millions, he said it's, a, it's, a, it's an instrument of oppression, which is exactly what the Iranian government does to the women who get beaten with sticks because they decide not to wear the hijab. Look at the women's freedom movement that so many women have been articulating that were targeted for assassination by the Iranian government that I've talked about also on this program. But yet the editor said she takes full responsibility for the headline. As an editor, I know the power of words, and that is my error. It seems that the the power of ethics and morality and defending the 
oppression of those where hijab is can be an instrument of it and is an instrument of it is not much that you care about. What about the health issue of the thousands of dissidents that are behind prison, behind bars in prison in Iran or Saudi Arabia for deciding not to wear the hijab or choosing not to wear the hijab? Or is being Muslim simply dictated by the Islamist theocrats in America and Canada that choose to write you letters to make you feel bad that somehow you're a bigot because you published a letter from another doctor who said that that cover picture misportrayed did not communicate well what was cultural diversity in our community. So if if a Muslim, or, or I don't even know if he's Muslim, but if a very diverse-minded physician, surgeon, writes a letter saying that you guys should be aware that that picture is not just sort of, oh, we, we love to, to be kind to our Muslim neighbors and children, but this is also a tool. And, and he noted it as a pediatrician that it's a tool because when you put it on kids six, seven years old, which is what that picture showed, it isn't even necessary religiously. They're not even supposed to be wearing the hijab until later. But what's happening is they're being behaviorally indoctrinated into wearing it so that by the time they hit puberty, when they're supposed to run with it and wear it, according to the theocrats, they're conditioned and feel naked without it. That's what's happening. So don't tell me that that's not an appropriate letter. A little paragraph embedded in the editorial section somehow now gets pushed back. And I'll have to tell you, I think that the press that this got also doesn't serve their their agenda of preventing bigotry against Muslims, because actually what it did was get the topic much more attention than Dr. Emil thought it would, which I think is a good thing. But also, it portrayed the eventuality that all these Muslim organizations that shouted fire because of a little letter to the editor, somehow they speak for Muslims. And never mind Muslim women freedom fighters and dissidents around the world that are fighting for the hijab for their freedoms. Look at all the hashtags on Twitter of women who are ripping off their hijab and the cartoons of and the positive images animations, I should say, of women taking off their hijab as being a sign of freedom. But no, the Canadian Medical Association Journal chose, in the era of racialization of everything, to fall in lockstep with the rest of the CRT-type movement and, and say that somehow they needed to apologize. And Dr. Emil did the crime of citing the resurgence of the Taliban in Afghanistan and their many reported abuses towards women and girls as examples in his letter. He said so many women have been traumatized by such an upbringing, which I believe, frankly, borders on child abuse. So when you force a girl to wear a hijab at the age of six or seven, it's worth debate if we decide to call that child abuse or not. In the context of a free country, free society, it certainly is not. Families can teach their kids their own values as conservative, liberal, or whatever you want to describe that. But in a society in which kids are indoctrinated in every school, and they are punished sometimes corporally for not 
wearing the hijab or other theocratic impositions, that is abuse. And that needs to be exposed. So if a doctor that cares about the Muslim community writes a letter expressing the fact that, hey, you know what, that last medical journal picture you guys decided to put it on front, really there's a lot more underlying that than simply all love and smiles and wonderful equality of hijab. There are other Muslims. Remember, I've talked to you here about the fact that when we had Olympians, Olympians in, in the American Olympics team in the Summer Olympics that were representing our country, that the hijab-wearing Hijab wearing Ibtihaj Muhammad, the fencer who I think barely got a bronze or I'm not sure how she finished, somehow became the front, almost the athlete of the year because of the hijab wearing identification that she gave. But yet Delilah Muhammad, who won a gold and a, and a silver and others, was ignored because she wore shorts and a t-shirt and a track, normal track outfit. Again, this is not to say that Ibtihaj Muhammad cannot choose to wear more conservatively, whatever she wishes. But when you want to profile folks as representing the Muslim community, please spare us taking the most conservative fringe folks and say that these are representing Muslims. Again, fringe not meaning radical. Yeah, it's not a radical thing. But yes, you know what? While certainly not all conservative orthodoxy are radical... If you look at most of the theocratic movements of Saudi Arabia, Iran, and others that generate terrorism and other radicalization, they do fall in line with the orthodox choices, don't they? So when you look at our reform movement, that's trying to focus on areas that deeply need reform. I think it's so appropriate to look at these things as some of the primary top 10 issues we need to address and when you look at misogyny and honor crimes against women, hijab, burqa, and other interventions in their physical autonomy, in their bodily autonomous, autonomous choices, is a very relevant topic, ladies and gentlemen, especially for a medical association, isn't it? So we can turn that over, can't we? And to say that somehow FGM, for example, which I and Hersi Ali and so many others have focused on as a crime against humanity, the thousands, tens of thousands that happen around the world annually, to say that's not associated also with orthodoxy and even conversing about it somehow becomes racist. Islam wearing the hijab is not a race. It's a choice that it is personal, but I will tell you one of the things we saw with the French Islamist movement is that the hijab became a political tool. It became a political statement that kids in universities were wearing it intentionally because the French government prevented them and decided to force them not to wear it if they were in public facilities. Now, I disagree with that. I don't think the government should interfere in what we personally male or female, decide to wear, especially if it's religious and part of the First Amendment here in America, which is the first freedom of religious liberty. But that reaction then demonstrated a full reaction with from the Muslim communities, the Islamists of marching in the streets saying they have a freedom to wear the hijab. Did they also defend the freedom not to, the freedom for 
women's autonomy and liberty? I, I didn't hear that, did we? Coming out of the French Muslim movement. It was the Islamists that spoke up, responding to the French laïcité policies. Let's look at what the Islamists in Canada said. They said, this perpetuated harmful stereotypes. The National Council of Canadian Muslims, a.k.a. Muslim Brotherhood in Canada, legacy groups, called the letter Islamophobic. This article falls short of the CMA's Code of Ethics and Professionalism Standards. Are you serious? The Code of Ethics has to do with treating people equitably and equally, and I think there's nothing that Dr. Emil wanted more than to, to defend the rights of individual rights for freedom and the liberty of those children and women and girls. But yet, this Islamist group in Canada said that it perpetuates dangerously harmful stereotypes about a demographic that has been targeted by some of the most violent forms of Islamophobia in this country, said the NCCM. Huda Idris, founder of Dot Health, also said on Twitter that the letter falls short of the standards. It's one thing for people to have dangerous xenophobic views that equate women's clothing to extremism. It's another to publish and run with it. So, this is where we are, ladies and gentlemen. And I think there's nothing more educational than to see what's happening in a medical association north of the border. Because a doctor expressed an opinion that didn't fall in lockstep with the racialization of a community. Next, I want to talk to you about this, and he happens to also be Canadian, a lot of Canada today, huh? is Jordan Peterson. Now, Peterson has gotten a lot of acclaim and now is doing quite a bit of uh, public work looking at family values, looking at rational thought, looking at individual rights. And I think he's done a lot of good work. And every time I've listened to him before, a couple of interviews I just saw, I thought that uh, he was right on point and, and obviously misrepresented by the far left because he, in a very rational way, deconstructed their attempt to control the ideas being perpetuated throughout universities and elsewhere of the far left progressivists. I mean, I had to look at this twice in order to really believe that Jordan Peterson proudly posted quotations and an interview with Muhammad Hijab. And then I thought, oh, let me listen to it and see if he deconstructed him and, and showed him the error of his ways. Because who is this guy, Muhammad Hijab? He's a calls himself a debate, debater, scholar, speaker on Islam. And I, I think he fancies himself sort of in the tradition of some of these apologists that do the deep theological apologetics and debate against other faiths, especially for the apologists of Islam that debate the Jewish and Christian community. There's, You can look in historically like Ahmed Didat and others that really made quite a name for themselves notoriously as being able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Christian theologians and Jewish theologians because of sort of the, the because the anchor, as any of you who've studied Islam know, the anchor of Islam 
I see it in a in a very reformist way that we don't have a monopoly on heaven that obviously we can intermarry Jews and Christians. It's not in any way we are supposed to convert or change the mind of Jews or Christians. Islam came to the pagans of Arabia and the Nejd, if you will. It did not be revealed by God to the Jews or Christians and thus they were left alone. Now that's a reformist way to look at it. The Islamists, Salafists, if you will, also look upon look upon the revelation as a that the Christians lost their way. The Saudi interpretation of that is that they became believers in a trinity which they see as polytheists and ultimately were no longer quote unquote people of the book of the God of Abraham as they Christian faith is, and this is what the radicals interpret, be it Wahhabis, Salafis, or the ones that do it for political purposes like the Islamists. Well, Muhammad Hijab is one of these that has defended a number of things that had do not in any way fit in line with liberty, freedom, or Western secular liberal democracy. And in fact, he's proud of himself as saying that he rejects most of the ideas of the Enlightenment. He's proud of himself as saying that he calls for the acceptance of the illegalization of alcohol and drugs and other things. And we can debate that. But to say that somehow that's a moderate viewpoint his, his, his absurd, his positions on polygamy, his positions on uh, the gay community and other things are just, I think, in many ways unconscionable. And yet, Jordan Peterson's post, after his podcast with Muhammad Hijab, he proudly quoted him and said, I can tell you, and this is quoting Hijab, he said, I can tell you that my close friends and traditionalist Muslims listen to you your views kind of coalesce with the Islamic viewpoints. And this is hijab telling Jordan Peterson this, especially on the nuclear family, on alcohol. Islam is one of those only religions in the world that bans alcohol completely and drugs. So Islam bans it, not mankind. So here's somebody whose premise is that society should be ruled by Islamic law not by man-made law, that Islam bans it, that if you're going to live in an Islamic way, you should ban it. And there was little debate about this. If anything, Jordan Peterson highlights him in his website. Now, I'm highlighting this not to be sort of anti-Jordan Peterson. I have the highest respect for a lot of what he said. But this shows the blind spot And I don't know if it's intentional, I don't know if it's manipulated, or what's going on, but the huge blind spot that conservatism today, and I don't know what brand of conservatism we're talking, I'm not going to talk political conservatism, I'm talking about conservatism, especially family family value-based conservatism, seems to, especially with the Jordan Petersons of the world and others, we've seen this, Peterson has done uh, speaking engagements with Hamza Youssef, I believe, similarly, from Zaytuna Institute, who on the one hand is schizophrenic in his beliefs where he one day is touting Islamists' belief of, of uh, um, you know, sort of the penchant to racialize things and look at Muslim minorities as a collective and the ummah. And on the other 
time he's talking conservative family values. And yet, the Jordan Petersons of the world, I think, is a perfect, perfect metaphor of why we reformists, and I consider myself a conservative, but yet we reformists can't seem to get any traction. Because the far left is so busy racializing Islam and using Muslims as a as a cudgel to beat their non-Muslim friends over the head with as being bigots and anti-Muslim that they don't even look what's happening within the Muslim community because it doesn't fit their progressivist red-green Islamist alliance globally and domestically. Never mind the way women, minorities, gays, and feminists and others are treated internally within the Muslim community. Never mind that most of the mosques, if not over 90%, don't have any women on their boards and separate men and women physically into the back rooms of the mosque. Never mind any of that. But the reality is is that the values that conservatism went through were based on internal values that were done by choice. Internal values that were done by, if religion was a first liberty, that you believe that you wanted society guided to be under God, but you did not want the government to mandate those things because true religious freedom was when you made a choice to either practice or not practice that belief. And then America went through its own battles about alcohol and realize that as alcoholism and other things are can be quite destructive to society, both through life and psychologically and psychiatrically and families and otherwise, is the best way to address that through banning it or through legalization and education and cultural mores and, and advancing a... God-centered society without turning government into God. And I think this is somehow was absent in this conversation. Or if it was, it was simply given a little bit of lip service about freedom. And Peterson did nothing to, to do any homework. I mean, I tweeted when I saw this, I said, did, did, did he forget how to use Google to look at what this guy has said and how he's attacked and mocked and ridiculed Christian theologians who simply debated him about what they personally believe. There's a debate on there with Muhammad Hijab from two, three years ago with David Wood that was just horrific. Uh, 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 Hijab was 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 a was a complete bully and and said things so inappropriate and yet fancied himself so funny and otherwise it was simply an example of patronizing apologetics. And, and no real answers to the tough questions that David Woods was asking him. And there are other examples out there. And I find it just unbelievable that for a established, I, I don't, I think Peterson's a psychologist, but he's a professor and a clinical psychologist. And um, he has a number of videos out there that I think should be watched, should be paid attention to by struggling youth whether they're suicidal whether they're especially now after the pandemic there's so much untreated disease and untreated depression and otherwise he really i think centers a lot of his commentary on 
tough love and and uh, treating people as adults, not as children, not patronizing them. And yet, when it came to the Muslim community, he took the lowest hanging fruit and patronized the rest of us. By giving this likes, the likes of Muhammad Hijab a platform uncritically and not putting him in his place as a misogynist, as, a, as an Islamist theocrat, rather than elevating him as somebody who believes in family values. I mean, tell me that is not what, what, what we're supposed to think of that as conservative Muslims, for those of us that are conservative within that rubric. I felt the same way when Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State Pompeo, decided to elevate Hamza Youssef to their commission on inalienable rights. And again, it probably had to do with their belief that somehow because Hamza Youssef shared his ideology about being pro-life and anti-abortion, that somehow that State Department commission would fit his ideology, when in fact... Hamza Yusuf has never expressed anything against Islamic State concepts for Muslim majorities, has never talked about reform necessary, at least potently enough to find that he adheres to our Muslim reform movement declaration and principles bared within or the Enlightenment in the West or secular liberal democracy. So these are all extremely important. So I have to tell you, Each of these, whether we're doing it from within our own side of the political spectrum or from the other side, as I was talking about earlier with the Canadian Medical Association, ultimately, it's tough love, isn't it? I love my profession of medicine, but I cannot stand the fact that it's being politicized by race baiters. I love my conservative values and others in in the conservative movement, but I cannot stand that leaders are deceived or don't do their homework when it comes to Islamists, Salafists like Muhammad Hijab. And which is he? Well, he might be more of a Salafist, but the bottom line, he's certainly not a modernist. And he's certainly not a believer in Western principles of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So that's our podcast for the week. Stay strong. Have a wonderful, blessed year, 2022. May we come together stronger. May we begin to stand up for the truth. May we enjoy a country with more freedom, not less, economic prosperity, and social and cultural diversity, and real ideological diversity. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R and at Reform This Radio. Share this podcast. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.